Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, and I am the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and also a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. And we have in the background our producer, Helena Hodges, who is also our Vice President of Finance and Operations. For today's episode, we are talking about first time learning leaders with Laurel Schulert. Welcome, Laurel. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before we dive into the topic, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners and viewers? Um, I will. And so I actually met all of you through the ATD network. I'm the past president of the Ann Arbor ATD chapter. And in my day job, because <laughs> that's the night job, in my day job, I actually began my career as a teacher about 15 years ago, spent a number of years in the classroom working in both high schools and at a community college. And that's where I really fell in love with adult learning. So I made my transition over time to corporate instructional design. I've been in the L&D space for about a decade now, and most recently have led the learning experience team at SAP Concur. And so we're a team of primarily instructional designers. Uh, there's seven instructional designers. We have one LMS admin and one technical writer. And we create any number of uh, educational assets for the Concur audience for all of our internal employees. I love it. So with, with our topic today, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that we could think about first-time learning leaders. So can you share with us maybe your definition of, or, you know, provide us some parameters of what a first-time learning leader is? It's the first-time manager who is uniquely in the L&D space. And why that topic is so appealing to me, um, it's a bit autobiographical. That was me a couple years ago. And what I realized when I came into that role, like so many of us, I've always been a voracious reader. And it was really easy to find books on management, books on leadership. It was really easy to find books on working in L&D, working in instructional design, and just that perfect marriage of being an L&D leader didn't exist. There really isn't a lot of content out there for L&D leaders, let alone first-time L&D leaders. And I have some peers in my organization. I've met some peers through ATD. Um, but what I've realized is a lot of us are alone. Mm -hmm. A lot of us lead the only learning function in our business. A lot of us aren't involved in places like ATD or SHRM or other similar organizations. And it's a really difficult road to be in this role for the first time, first-time manager, first-time learning leader, and not have a lot of resources and not I have a lot of peers. Um, and so that's become my mission recently to write about this, to speak about this, and to share my experiences and hopefully share some advice. So first of all, thank you. Thank you for giving voice to those of us. And I think many people who are joining us today, and I can certainly speak from experience and say me too, definitely. We've been in that position of being that first time leader. And it is kind of different when you think about it. You bring all of this great knowledge and experience about talent development or your specific role or function within this space. But those management skills, those leadership skills can sometimes be kind of difficult to translate. I would love, first of all, maybe even before we start to get into what that journey might look like and how someone might be able to, now that they've got that seat at the table, start to get comfortable. 
I'm curious if in your experience, there might be a difference between, say, the first time learning leader who's been a part of their team, they've been with the organization for a while, versus perhaps a first time leader who's brand new to an organization. Mm. Do you see a difference in how they might get kind of comfortable with that space or familiar with that space? Or are they often, you know, very similar journeys? That's an excellent question. I think they're really very different, really very different journeys. Um, So I was promoted up through Mm -hmm. my team. I had been on the team for three years prior. And I always say I had no learning curve. I mean, I had the management learning curve. That's different. (laughs) Um, But I I knew the lay of the land. I I knew the network of people I'd be working with. I knew the stakeholders. I knew the business culture. Um, And quite frankly, it gave me a lot of confidence to move into that role because I didn't have to learn and navigate a new system, a new culture, all of that. Prior to obtaining this role, I did, quite frankly, interview elsewhere um, for exactly what you just described, which was coming in as a new hire (laughs) into a new organization in a leadership space. Uh, And that was terrifying. Not so terrifying. I didn't choose to pursue the role, Um, but but I knew that would be so much more of an uphill battle um, going in and and just being a complete stranger and having to make those leadership decisions from pretty much day one. And so I'm, I'm grateful that my journey worked out in the way that I had, that I had that comfort of, of honestly knowing the team. Um, but that does pose some challenges also because then I was managing former peers and that that's a really unique situation as well. Um, but it. It is a slightly easier path in many regards if you're not coming in from the outside, learning the culture, learning the stakeholders. Um, you already have a lot of keys to success when you're coming in from the inside. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I've been in both. Di- both. <laughs> it's It's been interesting, <laughs> the journey. Now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm very fascinated. So there's the, you know, we don't we have our learning and develop knowledge. We have our leadership knowledge. What is the unique, let's maybe the the first piece of advice you have for uniquely the new L&D leader? So my first piece of advice is actually not unique to L&D, but it's where I'd recommend everybody start and then you get to the Mm. L&D stuff. And so really where I would start, and it's it's so simple, but it's defining who your team is. What unique value does your team bring to your organization? What roles are on your team? Um, How do you position yourself as being of value to your organization, to those business stakeholders who, quite frankly, make decisions that have huge consequences, everything from the headcount of your team to the budget of your team? to what sort of projects your team is brought or not brought. And so really taking that time to define who your team is, is, is step one. And that's not unique to L&D, but taking the time to do things like a SWOT analysis, defining your mission and vision. Um, the team that I inherited didn't have a mission and vision. So quite wow. frankly, we had just done that in my a to d chapter. And so January 1, 2020, start of the pandemic, I became the president of Ann Arbor ATD and I became the director of my job at work. And I just thought, 2020 is going to be the best year ever. And we all know how that went. (laughs) Um, um, But because we had just gone through the journey in my ATD chapter of defining that mission and vision for the chapter, I was really prepared to bring that same exercise back to my team at work. So then we spent um, one month doing that at ATD and the very next month doing that at work. And that was a really great way for our team to come together and have that new charter to represent ourselves with and to stand behind. And then we got into the L&D stuff. So looking at stuff like um, I had to replace my vacancy that, you know, when I was promoted up through the team, I got to hire someone to backfill myself. 
myself. We had had some turnover in the organization. So I actually inherited two employees and four vacancies total, one of which was my own. So then I was doing hiring in Q1 2020, which was a really interesting time to convince people from the outside to change careers and change industries and change employers in in the middle of March 2020. And so that's where the L&D stuff really kicked in of, well, we have this new mission, we have this new vision, but we're an old team, but we have some new ways of doing business. And what roles belong on the team? How can I make the best use of these four open positions that I inherited? And do we want to change job descriptions? Um, do we want to change team names? By the end of wow. 2020, we had changed our whole entire team name. Wow. And we are still doing the same type of work, um, but we found us a better way to represent ourselves to our stakeholders in the business. Nice. I'm also hearing a plug for chapter leadership volunteering I really can help develop those skills. You know, it's really funny, and this ties back to the first question you asked about coming in from the inside versus mm. coming in from the outside. Um, I interviewed with my previous manager's peers, and they had known me for three years at this point. And so I wasn't really sure going into the interview what they would even ask me, because what do they want to know they don't already know? And someone asked me, well, Laurel, do you have any leadership experience? And I think it was kind of a gotcha, because I think they thought I was going to say no. And I <laughs> well, said, yes, well, actually. I <laughs> and, and I got to talk about my work with ATD and serving you know, for the past year as the incoming president, uh, the president-elect role, and how we set the budget and how I recruited volunteers and how I suggested that we should do one-on-ones with the other board members. And so I actually had been in the experience of managing others and doing one-on-ones and doing a lot of those aspects that come with the job of being a manager. And the person said, oh, I didn't know that you did that. Uh, And I think that really was a feather in my cap, the interview process that I had that experience. They quite frankly didn't know I had outside of work. It's a really impressive opportunity to be able to share with people. And I think you're right. It shares a different side to you, to your leadership, to your interest, and honestly, to your connection to the industry, to volunteers, to really have that very deep, long-lasting passion for the work that all of us do. So I'm really glad to hear that chapter service was a part of that professional journey that you were taking. And As you were sharing a little bit about that first tip you had, you know, it was almost like you said, it's not really specific to L&D. It's really taking that step back and looking at the team itself. I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that that's where you'd begin. And it got me wondering what surprised you or in your conversations with others and thinking about the role of the first time leader, what typically surprises people about stepping into that role, things that they weren't really expecting would be a part of that journey for them. Yeah. Um, The human relationship aspect, you know, and I I mentioned coming in January 2020, we had no idea it was coming. My last in-person team meeting was was January 2020. (laughs) And then we've always been a remote environment. And I'm very grateful for that because that aspect of the pandemic was not new work for us. Um, But then trying to build a new team in this Mm. time, um, manage everyone's emotions during a very, very stressful time in human history, Um, onboard new employees into this remote environment. It was absolutely mission critical that we built friendships with one another um, and that we built those relationships. And being in a remote environment, there's a couple of things that we've done, some on purpose and some just on accident. I'm very fortunate. My coworkers and I really have a very harmonious work environment, which has not always been the case everywhere. but we did a couple of things uh, to really build those relationships. Um, we do default to being camera on for a lot of our team meetings. Nice. And everyone always has the choice if they want to be camera on or off. And people kind of uh, oscillate between the two. 
But our default is camera on. And it does help us just have that face to put with the names and have that human connection. And whether you use um, any uh, Teams communication channels like a Slack or uh, Microsoft Teams, we've always had a space just called Water Cooler, mm. and it's exactly what it sounds like. And people talk about fun things in there. And so what are you doing for fun? You know, what are you reading for fun, not reading for work? What movies do you watch? What are your kids doing? What did you have for dinner last night? Um, tell us about the plants growing in your yard. We have a lot of gardeners on my team. <laughs> and so just having those personal connections, it was so critical to bringing in so many new hires and really sustaining everyone through the pandemic and beyond. The first time we all got together as a team was actually summer 2022. So a lot of us had worked together for over two years and never even met face to face. And so that that surprised me. Um, And I've always been a relationship person. I I mentioned I began my career as a teacher, and I really love that relationship building of working with the students. Um, So that's always been just really of interest to me. But I think it's really helped make the team successful that we are that true tight knit team because we care about one another as individuals. I love that you mentioned the relationship building part because I uh, became a manager in my late, well, in the professional world in my late 20s. And uh, it, it was tough for me to first learn you know, it's about getting the work done through others, right? Because <laughs> you, you, we tend, generally people get promoted because of their technical skill. And then all of a sudden, you're required to have a whole different skill set. Is there any particular advice you have for those first time learning leaders that's maybe unique for L&D? Um, something unique to l and I would really... Um, challenge everyone to think about what roles belong on your team and to consider roles that are unique to L&D and also to consider roles that are sometimes found outside of L&D. And so during this time, um, we took the opportunity when I was hiring new folks onto my team to reinvent some of the job descriptions and really take the time to define out what is an instructional designer as opposed to a senior instructional designer. Our company had those titles, but there wasn't always distinguishing factors between what makes someone senior or non-senior. we looked at the title of LMS admin, and is that really appropriate for the scope of that role? So we ended up sort of inventing a title for that, and we call this person the learning analyst because uh, mm. we wanted to bring in a little more analytical mm-hmm. nature to that sure. role and, and less sort of rote administrative yeah. tasks. Um, over time, we found the team really benefited from having a technical writer. I always describe this person as being the second D in Addy, where the designers really focus on that kind of consulting space and the performance consulting, um, where the technical writer is more like that second D in Addy. She helps develop all the materials once the designers lay out those plans and those designs. And so really taking the time to analyze what roles belong on the team to best help you meet that mission and vision and best help you serve your business is really important. Um, I also challenge you to think about roles outside of the L&D space that may actually belong on your L&D team. Um, Whenever people across the business hear that I lead a team of instructional designers, the first thing they think we are is graphic designers because everyone's more familiar (laughs) with that term. So we have a lot of conversations around, well, we're not graphic designers, um, but we can make things look pretty. Mm -hmm. um, And And it's really made me question time and time again, should I have a graphic designer on my team? That's kind of on my wish list for someday. If I get miracle headcount someday, I'd love to have a graphic designer in the ranks. One of our teams we work with really closely has a data analyst, and we use that person's services daily. They've really helped advance our whole organization. 
And I think I think data can really play a role in the L&D organization as well when it goes back to reporting, to metrics, to documenting KPIs and performance. Again, showing that quantitative uh, value back to the business, data can absolutely play a huge role in that as well. And so if you have the luxury, thinking about what roles can really round out your team for maximum impact. As I was listening to you share a little bit, especially about the idea of how roles can be incorporated into the mix, it got me thinking about a word that I feel like comes up a lot when you're talking about managers, and that's the idea of success. Mm. And success, I've always found to be a little bit tricky because no one person, no one team, no one organization is going to define it the same way. But I think for first-time managers, you also might get in your head a little bit about what Mm. success is going to look like. I would love to hear your thoughts on how you might approach that as a first-time learning leader. How do you stop yourself from going too far into your head, setting unrealistic expectations? And what does it look like to communicate with your team and your leadership when you're starting to figure out what success looks like for you? That is such a great question because in our industry, we really don't have KPIs, key performance indicators in the way that other fields do. Um, A a big scope of my team's work is sales enablement. Mm. And if our salespeople are hitting their goals, I mean, there's different ways. It's sometimes easier than others to tie it back to our work as L&D practitioners. Um, But our audience has very clear KPIs in a way that we don't. So there's a couple of things that I do. Um, One that's a little more qualitative in nature. The leader who uh, promoted me into my first management role asked me at one point that first year, Laurel, what do you want to be known for? Mm. And that was such a thought provoking question. And I actually turned around and I asked the team that. So we did our SWOT analysis um, and we were going through the process of setting goals for the next year, the end of that first year. And I asked the team, what do we want to be known for? And we use this whiteboarding software at work. And so I literally just made a blank whiteboard for us and it's cloud so we can all get in there and annotate together. And I put that question, what do we want our team to be known for? And the whole team has populated all the different stickies of what they wanted us to be known for. So thinking about our SWOT analysis, so what are our strengths? You know, How can we address our weaknesses? Um, what opportunities can we seize? All of that. And then thinking about our goals for the next year, if we want to be known for a certain thing, and that's one of our strengths, how can we amplify that? Um, if we want to be known for a certain thing and we're not doing it, there's a clear opportunity for us. Let's make that a goal to address for next year. So that's just become part of our annual team planning process. We've had that same conversation every year for the past three years now, and it really helps position us for the year ahead in that kind of qualitative sense. The other advice I have there and how you measure your success in a more quantitative success, in a more quantitative way, because that's so challenging for us. When you have a goal um, that can't really be measured in a way that something like sales performance can. Another one of my leaders gave me the excellent advice, just break it into four big milestones. And so let's say one of our team members has the goal, they want to get more proficient at an e-learning authoring tool. Well, how do you know when you're done? How do you measure proficiency? So maybe you break it into four big milestones. Milestone one would be like doing some sample tasks using some features. Milestone two would be building a course using some of those features. You know, milestone three could be teaching someone else how to do those. And so like, break it into three or four big milestones. And when you break up that goal in those manageable steps, you have something really clear to work towards. And then you actually can measure your success and do the smart goals that everyone in the corporate world loves, where it's time bound and it's specific. And, you know, it's a way that you can actually show you're gaining mastery in a certain area, as opposed to just saying, well, I want to get better. And it's really difficult to say what better looks like. Wow. 
<laughs> I love it. In this, in our short time together so far, I mean, we've covered so much, right? The mindset shift from technical to uh, relationship focused on your skills, right? The um, thinking more strategically, the looking at data, looking at your teams. I know there's so much more. Can you share? I know you have a few resources coming out. Can you share that with our listeners and viewers? Yeah, thank you. Um, I was actually asked to write a TD at Work guide through ATD. So that will be coming out in June 2023. And the title for that is Assemble an A-List L&D mm. Team. And it's largely autobiographical. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of what I've talked about here today is the blueprint or the outline of, of that document. And so putting that together. And I will also be speaking on a really similar topic at the ATD International Conference in May 2023. Um, that session's actually going to be recorded virtually on mm. demand. Um, so if people don't have the opportunity to travel there in person, they won't miss me. <laughs> they can watch the recording. That'll be available that way. And the title of that session is Survival and Success Strategies for First-Time Learning Leaders. So again, a lot of what I've covered today, um, but I designed that session to be really introspective and reflective. There'll be opportunities to kind of pause and do some journaling as you go through the recording and really inspire others to think about their journey, um, where whether they're already in the leadership role or whether they aspire to hold that role someday soon, and how can they identify their own values, their own strengths, and really feel the confidence and the courage to go down this path because it's yeah. so rewarding. It's, it's a difficult job, but it's one that I love. Nice. I have no doubt you will have a packed room for that yes. session, especially with how integrated this approach is and how much you have to offer on this topic. I am so excited that we have had a chance to learn from you, although we're not quite done learning from you yet. So our listeners know at the end of each one of our episodes, we have a couple of rapid fire style questions that we like to ask of our guest. So what do you think, Laurel? Are you up for three rapid fire questions as we wrap up today. Let's oh, I love the energy. All right. So your first question from us is give us one book that everyone must read and why. I would say Agile for Instructional Designers by Megan Torrance. Mm -hmm. My team does a book club every year, and that was our first ever selection for our book nice. club. Um, so I used to be an English teacher, once an English teacher, always an English teacher. I make my whole team do a book club every year. And and this book was transformative. It, it hit us at the right point in the right place in time. Um, we've been able to apply so much from that book directly to our work. And other people around us are keeping keeping other people around us keep saying to us, how did you learn that? Or where did you pick that up? And that book is my number one resource mm -hmm. that I recommend to everyone. Even though it says for instructional designers in the title, it's really for anyone in L&D. I can attest to that. Absolutely for anyone in L&D. Oh, that's a great recommendation. All right. Second question for you. What is one tool that you can't live without? You know, it's funny. I would say articulate storyline. Mm. And it's funny because as a manager, I don't use it anymore <laughs> and I miss it. <laughs> I, um, learning to use storyline was so much fun. And I'm not someone who gravitates towards technology, but it's so much fun. It's such a blank canvas. And I just felt this incredible sense of pride, like learning to use that tool really well. And I really enjoy seeing what my team comes up with using that tool to this day. We just, it's something that we just really enjoy doing. Um, I think it's the best in class tool for what it is. So articulate storyline, I will sing its praises all day, every day. I completely get that. I do a lot more strategic work these days, but anytime 
time I can get my hands on an e-learning project, I am right there. So absolutely tracking with that thought. Wonderful choice. Last question for you from us, though. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? A couple years ago, a coworker of mine at my employer wrote an article through the ATD magazine, and I wasn't doing anything at that level at that point in time. And I was so blown away that someone I knew published an article and it was such a big deal. And I reached out to her and I said, oh, that's really a goal that I have for myself one day, but I wouldn't know what to say. And she said, Laurel, I think you have more to say than you think you do. And here I am a few years (laughs) later, right, following in that path. Love it. Um, And I... And I would give anyone else that same advice. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this and you think, I, I would like to write an article or write a blog or a LinkedIn post, any, you know, if there's something that you want to do, I think that you have more to say than you think yeah. you do. Someone out there needed to hear that today. Yes. So I am very glad you said that to them. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you so much for joining us today, Laurel. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute Aww. joy. And of course, we want to thank our listeners and viewers for being with us for another episode. Now, before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you a member of the Metro DC chapter of ATD? We have resources just for you. Go to dcatd.org and select the members only section of resources to access our digital library, member directory, and chapter documents. Follow the Metro DC chapter of ATD on LinkedIn today.